0: Chapter 29, Another Messiah Most Jews in the first century refused to accept Yeshua as the Messiah. But then Messiah simply means anointed one, and the scriptures are full of anointed ones or messiahs. Actually, every king and prophet was an anointed one. They were either anointed with oil, as with the kings, or anointed with Yahweh's spirit, as in the case of the prophets. And upon examining the ancient prophecies, there are multiple anointed ones to expect. Unfortunately, most in both Judaism and Christianity, even Islam cling to the idea there is only one which has been a major stumbling block. Let's look at a few of these prophecies. The first ones in Genesis 3:15 that prophesies that a descendant of Eve would crush the head of the dragon, that is the one that deceived Eve. Has such a thing occurred yet? Has the head of the dragon been crushed? If we are to accept Revelation 12 as a future event, obviously the Messiah who does the head crushing of the reptile has yet to appear. Another predicted Messiah was the one Yahweh told Moses of in Deuteronomy 18.18. He says there, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, that is Moses, from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. These are very interesting words and presumed by most to be a prophecy of Yeshua. But Yahweh said he would be like Moses, who was a Levite, and be from among their brethren or families. Moses was a Levite, not a Jew, who led his people out of bondage in Egypt and to Mount Sinai. Has that Levitical Messiah like Moses who leads modern Israel out of bondage to the promised land come yet? But those two are still not the only Messiahs prophesied. There is more. and that is found in Ezekiel 37. Let's not forget, Messiah simply means anointed one. That is by Yahweh. Ezekiel 37 is speaking of the resurrection of the whole house of Israel where David will be their anointed king. David was the anointed one or Messiah the Pharisees of the first century were expecting. But the Bible predicts at least one more who will apparently cause a stir that will make the Messiah of the first century pale by comparison. Not importance, in important, but impact. Christianity has been expecting a return of a Messiah, but they certainly wouldn't recognize him if they saw him, according to actual scripture. First of all, they'd be looking for a Greek Messiah called Jesus Christ. Secondly, even most of those who know the true name of the first century High Priest Messiah, Yeshua, will still be mistaken in expecting him to return and rapture them off to heaven, which literally transpired over 1900 years ago. Both will be sadly disappointed because that Messiah is not the one we can be expecting next. Amazingly, the shocking truth has been right in front of our faces. We just couldn't see it. But if we go back to the beginning and open our eyes, it's it's right there. To see it, we need only go back to the first Passover and pay close attention to the details. Just to refresh, Exodus 12 shows the Israelites were commanded by Yahweh through Moses to select a perfect male lamb, which they were to kill on the evening or the afternoon of the 14th day of the first month. They were then to smear the lamb's blood on the doorposts of their homes. The reason for the blood was to keep out the death angel, which according to the Book of Jubilees is named Mastema. The Death angel when it came through Egypt to kill all the firstborn. That is both of man and beast. Of course the death angel passing over the houses with the lamb's blood on the doorpost is the origin of the name Passover. Death angel passes over. The next morning after Mastemus passing through every firstborn, passing over every man, woman, child, even animals where the blood was found had been spared. All other firstborn were now dead. Of course, history played out perfectly, proving that on the evening of the 14th day of the first month, at about 3 3 p.m. when the lambs were slain, the one whom the lamb pictured, Yeshua, also spilled his blood to save the firstborn, that is, his priesthood. Remember also, Yahweh said the firstborn Israelites were his. His. Even the firstborn of all the animals were to be given to the priests and the Levites as a first fruit tithe. Again, Yahweh uses the physical to teach and show us a picture of the spiritual. And as pointed out earlier, it's erroneously taught that Yeshua's blood redeemed all mankind from the penalty of their sins, which is death. But as we can look around and see, it's simply not true. Everyone is dying. This presents the big question. If the Lamb or Yeshua only saved the firstborn or priesthood of Israel, who saves the rest? Well, a close look at the temple rituals shows us the answer to that question. Those rituals reveal reveal the process for the saving or atoning of the balance of Israel, not to mention the rest of the world. The place we find the saving ceremony for the salvation of the non-firstborn of Israel is in the ritual of the Fall High Day called the Day of Atonement. This was the day where the entire nation of Israel fasted, that is, they abstained from food and drink, while the high priest, now Yeshua, presides over an atoning ritual. In the atonement ritual, two adult male goats were selected. One as the goat of Yahweh, and the other was the goat upon which the sins of the Gentiles were placed, Azazel. Unfortunately, it was wrongly translated scapegoat in the King James. But the original is Azazel. You see, Azazel was one of the leaders of the Watchers who defected and corrupted mankind through illicit teachings and interbreeding with human women. We see that in the book of Enoch in chapter 6. The obvious point is, it was not the lamb who gives his life for the sins of the world and the remainder of Israel. It's a goat. Well, in symbolism. That said, and growing up on a farm, I can tell you firsthand there is a vast difference between an adult male goat and a lamb. With that fact in mind, and in order to fully understand the true spiritual picture, let's examine some of those differences between adult male goats and lambs. Which, probably the greatest difference being that lambs are harmless, exactly as Yeshua proved to be. He did no harm to anyone, just as a prophecy of Yeshua states, and like a lamb is silent before it's sure. Well, Yeshua was. We see that in Acts 8.32. Goats, on the other hand, do a lot of hollering and have no problem inflicting as much damage as they can to get out of a predicament. Another major difference is the horns adult goats wear. Of course, they have no problem exercising them every chance they get, while lambs don't even have horns. A goat can inflict serious damage with its horns, which translates into a very powerful creature as compared to a lamb. The level of power and ability of an adult male goat to inflict damage is probably 50 times that of a lamb. Another substantial difference between the two is the independent nature of goats. Lambs are followers, but goats tend to be much more independent. Goats have a way of belonging to a herd or group, while at the same time maintaining a level of independence. No doubt these substantial differences and attributes have essential meaning for us. Again, 1 Corinthians 10 11 is a key scripture for understanding. It says there, Now all these things happen to them as examples or types. The Greek word there is tupos, which means an exact duplicate. And they were written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. Remember, the first and foremost meaning of the actual Greek word used, tupos, is die, as in a printer's die. That means what was done in ancient times is an exact or lesser copy or rehearsal of the real fulfillment. The truth is the Lamb who became the high priest is qualified to select this Savior goat and sacrifice it as the atonement for the bulk of Israel. But according to the type, this Savior will wield something like 50 times the power Yeshua did, while at the same time is apparently not without blemish. This fall harvest, messiah does not need to be without blemish like yeshua needed to become high priest in revelation 13:11 through 18 we have references to an extremely powerful and evil entity called the beast with two horns this beast is given its power and authority by the dragon now that it has been released from the pit there's a theme or pattern we see all through scripture which of course is the constant battling of the forces of good and evil This is the same theme the atonement ritual displays. Two goats selected at the same time. One good for Israel and one evil for the devil. With that pattern in mind, is it not logical to conclude this goat Messiah is given extreme power by Yahweh to do battle with Azazel. That is the two-horned beast goat. If Azazel is the goat upon whom the sins of the Gentile world are placed, just who or what is the other goat? Well, since we know Azazel is a very powerful angel, and Leviticus 16 shows the two goats are the same, both in size and age, we can only conclude the goat that sheds its blood for Israel has to be a very powerful angel as well. But just who could this angel be? Plus, we have another problem. Do angels have blood? As far as I know, they don't. So how do we resolve this conundrum? Well, we do have some clues in the scriptures that seem to resolve that puzzle. First of all, there's a righteous angel that's been placed as watcher over all the tribes of Israel. We first hear of this angel called Melchizedek in the village of Salem. Melchizedek literally means Angel or Malach of Righteousness. After this we see the Angel of Yahweh, apparently the same angel mentioned many times. In fact, we're told it was the Angel of Yahweh that led the Israelites out of Egypt Which is also referred to as an eagle. With that eagle in mind, it seems fairly clear the eagle, or eagle's wings, to be lifted up on two feet like a man and a man's heart given to it in Daniel 7, was also the one that led ancient Israel out of Egypt using Moses, and is also the one that takes the Revelation 12 woman to safety. That said, Daniel 12 also makes it quite clear. The one who stands up like a man is definitely Michael the archangel. Let's read it. And at that time, or we're speaking of tribulation here, Michael shall stand up, the great angelic prince who stands watch over your people. There will be a time of great trouble as never was, or tribulation. And at that time your people shall be delivered, um, that is by the eagle, Michael, everyone found written in the book. Again, this scripture removes all doubt who the eagle is. During that three and one half year protection period, it's a good bet Yeshua will also be there considering he's the one to conduct the atonement goat ceremony. Unless, of course, it is performed in heaven, which is an, uh, a possibility. But I'm convinced he will certainly be here after atonement to personally lead his people into the new promised land. Eden, But before atonement and during that tribulation, Revelation 9 tells us the bottomless pit is open, releasing the 200 watchers, including the king of the pit, Azazel. Again, Revelation 9.11 calls him Abaddon, apparently meaning ruling father. After the tribulation at atonement, Yeshua the high priest grabs hold of Azazel in Leviticus 16 and places upon its head the sins of the Gentile world and throws him back into the pit along with the dragon which we see in Revelation 20. That is until the end of the millennium when they are released one last time. As to the angel, the second goat represents, the scriptures strongly suggest it is none other than Michael, a powerful angel, the angel of Yahweh, like Azazel, but now has become like a man with a man's heart. And considering the eagle has always been the angelic, champion or guardian angel of the whole house of Israel, whom are perfect to be that other goat or eagle turned man who sheds his blood for them. That is from the man's heart that was given to it.